Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today, we are going to talk about quick retirement. Should it be our goal to retire as quickly as possible? And more generally, is retirement a good idea? I just do want to mention that this is applicable not only for the elderly thinking about retirement, but for everybody listening, young elderly, middle-aged, this show is a very important topic for you. And we're going to talk about a number of related and maybe even unrelated issues. Do you need to stop working when you have enough money to learn full-time? Is there a requirement to stop? I have enough money to retire. Go to Colel. Enough is enough. How should a wife handle the husband being around? Indeed, husband being around if it's he who is the retiree can cause significant shalom issues. What's the impact? back on the children. They have to take care of their own children if they have, if there's Zolcha. But now they indeed may have parents, a parent, both parents to take care of as well because of the retirement. What happens when that husband is around? He causes problems. For example, trafing up the kitchen when he's preparing his own lunch. How much money do you need to save in order to retire? When do you need to start planning for retirement? And what is the impact of retirement on our health, physical health, and mental health as well? Well, today we are going to speak with a number of fascinating individuals. We are going to start out with the great Posek, the Rav of the Agudas Yisrael of Toronto, Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Lowy. We are going to move forward after Rabbi Lowy to speak with Dr. Ross Andel. Dr. Andel is an expert in aging and brain function. I really enjoyed speaking with him and really appreciate his coming on the show. I called him out of the blue after researching who is somebody who has written and, and researched retirement and brain aging, and he was very happy to come on the show. Then we are going to speak with Naftali Horowitz, a real maven in these areas. He is a managing director, very senior at Morgan Stanley, dealing with wealth management, and indeed he coaches numerous people how to get to retirement and how to live in retirement, and we are going to reap tremendous wisdom from everything he has learned over his lengthy career. We are then going to speak with two people together, Rabbi Yechiel Greenblatt and Jordan Odinsky. They are the founders of SmachZvulun.com. Very interesting. What's the connection to SmachZvulun? Zvulun to in fact, the Shulchan Aruch says that if you're too busy working, one solution, you don't have time to learn, you should pay others who are learning. That's the partnership of Zvulun, Zachar Zvulun. The Ramayat Zanas follows as if. If you are funding somebody who who is learning it as if you are doing the learning yourself. So the point of having them on very critical is even though somebody may think I'm going to wait for retirement and really apply myself to learning, but there are ways to do that even when somebody is working hard at the job. We're going to talk all about that. And then we are going to culminate the show with the famous Rabbi Beryl Wine, the renowned Rav, the renowned author, historian, and lecturer. Always a pleasure to have Rabbi Wine on the show. Just uh, before we get into the show itself. An interesting word. Parshas Kisavo says as follows. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Kalal Yisrael, Hayom Azen This is the day that you are becoming a nation. So Rav Shem Shomer Vol Hirsch, he points out as follows. Something fascinating about Kalal Yisrael. We are not like any other nation for many reasons. But he points out as follows that Kalal Yisrael is not limited to geography. It's not that we can only exist in the land of Eretz Yisrael. Obviously that's the best place to be, but we do exist 
exist in Galus as well. So it's not a limitation on Kalal Yisrael. The land of Israel is not the, the key of, of Kalal Yisrael. It is a key, but not the key of Kalal Yisrael. Also a language. We can exist outside of Israel speaking different languages. Now English is very common. Yiddish was very common. It's not the language that limits us, but what is the thing that limits us? That is the key integral to Kalal Yisrael is Torah. Torah defines who Kalal Yisrael is and accordingly, even in the Midbar, even getting out of Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them we are not limited wherever we are, whatever language we are speaking, it doesn't matter the key to being the nation of Kalal Yisrael. Today we are an Am, today we are a nation is because we accept upon ourselves the Torah. That is a critical thing. That is the key of Kalal Yisrael today. Today is what makes us a nation. It's the Torah that makes us a nation. And indeed, that is oftentimes the approach when it comes to retirement. I'm going to work so hard and hopefully along the way I'll be Kovea eating the Torah, but I look forward to the retirement when I can start joining the retiree Kolel and I'm going to learn from 8 in the morning till 12 in the afternoon and I'm looking forward to really applying myself, learning of Torah. That's going to be the day. That's going to be the day that I'm really going to be able to apply myself as I should my entire life, but I wasn't able to because I was earning a Parnassa and that indeed is going to be our discussion. Waiting until then, learning along the way, and how to use those retirement years to their best. That is going to be part of our conversation. So truth be told, truth be told, should that be the end goal? I want to wait, I want to retire, I want to learn Torah, I want to retire as quickly as possible, but it could very well be that working in of itself is intrinsically good. It's intrinsically good, and even when somebody can retire, they have the financial ability to retire, but maybe they shouldn't. In fact, there's the famous Mishnah in Masachas Avos, the first parak Mishnah Yud, that we should love Malacha, we should love the work, love working, and in fact, the Bartanura says as follows, even if you have a Parnassah, even if you are able to retire, that means, I have enough to live on, Chayav Lasok Malacha. you still have to work, you still have to be involved in working, could be a given day, I earned enough today so I can stop working, or it can be over the lifetime, I have enough to retire, keep on working apparently. Shabbatola maybe lideshiyumun, because somebody who's not involved, somebody who's idle, that will lead to boredom and problems. So on the one hand, we'd like to retire and learn. On the other hand, we see there's something intrinsically great with working. It's positive. It's a good thing to continue working, even if you can afford to retire. On the other hand, we have a lot of hands here. Learning should be able to fill that void. So recently with my Chavrusa, we came across a Mishnah, the last Mishnah in Seder Kodshim. And the last Mishnah, Masechet Kinim, a very hard Masechta. In fact, we saw the Tiferes Yishol. This has nothing to do with the show, but I'm going to mention it anyway. The Tiferes Yishol says that on the last three Mishnayis and Masechet Kinim, these are the hardest Mishnayis and Shas. So we're going to talk about the last Mishnah. The last segment of this Mishnah is not the hardest part of Mishnayis and Shas. It's actually fairly easy. And it says, very relevant to our discussion, Rabbi Shimon ben Akashi Omer, Ziknei Amar, it's the elderly of Amaratzim, those who are not involved in Torah learning, the older they get, their das, their brain functioning, gets worse. It does not improve. It 
erodes. In fact, if you look in the Tarif Yisrael and the Yachin, he says as follows, their machshava gets worse and worse. They get confused. That is talking about Amiratzim. However, on the other hand, when it comes to Avaziknei Torah, this is not the Nitiferis Yisrael anymore. Back to the Mishnah and Kinim. He says, Avaziknei Torah Enoch, and people who are involved, the elderly involved in Limud Torah, that is not the case. The older they get, the better their das gets, the better their brain functioning gets. In fact, the Ramam says as follows, even though they're getting elderly in their bodies, physically they're getting worn out, nonetheless, their chachma, their wisdom gets stronger and stronger, their seichel gets stronger and stronger, and they become closer and closer to shleimos, to perfection. So there we have, on the one hand, we're saying that continue working based on the mission of us. Work is good, even if you can afford to retire. On the other hand, learning is great, that is great for brain functioning, but truth be told, there are other considerations as well, which we will be talking about throughout this show. One of them, for example, a good friend of mine told me that his father was a Rav, and his Rav, his father would give a shear, and a number of retirees used to come to the shear. It was a shear that was given once a day, not too often, an hour a day, two hours a day, whatever the situation was, and the Rav he got a call from one of the wives of the attendees of the shear, and she said as follows, my husband, he retired not too long ago, he goes to your shear, but otherwise he's at home. He's driving me a bit up the wall, and the only time I have satisfaction, I have quiet, I have shalom, is when he goes out to your shear. Can you please give more shiurim? Please give more shiurim so he can be out of the house an extended amount of time. And in fact, we have to talk about all of these variables, and we will, Amir Tzashem, talk about all these variables, working being beneficial, but learning being beneficial, the impact on brain functioning and memory and brain processing, but also all of the other areas we have to think about, finances and family issues and Shalom Bias and Amir Tzashem. We will cover all of that with our guests coming up shortly, right after we hear our riddle of the week. This week's riddle relates to not only our show, but also in Yana Diyoma, Yamim Norayim, one of the bakashas, one of the tefillas that we say is Achreinu Lechaim, Melech Chafetz Bachaim, etc. And then we say Lamant Chalokim Chaim, Akadosh Baruch please remember us for our life. And then we say it should be for your sake. And the question is, what does that mean? It should be for the sake of Akadosh Baruch Shouldn't it be for our sake? We're the ones asking for life. We're the ones who want to receive life. Zachreinu Lechaim. Why would that be for Akadosh Baruch sake, not for our sake? In fact, I'm actually going to give uh, two reasons for this. And then if people could send in additional reasons, we would love to hear that. So the first one goes as follows. It's based on something that Rav Levi Yitzhak Mibarditchev said, and his love for Jews this was known. Each and every Jew, he just had such a positive outlook on them, and uh, he says as follows, why would a Jew ask for wealth from a Kaddish Baruch Hu? And he says as follows, a Kaddish Baruch Hu, when we ask for wealth, a Jew is asking for wealth, it's because he wants to use every penny, every shekel that is received from you for the proper purpose. He wants to raise his children for Torah. He wants to buy beautiful things for Shabbos. He wants to be able to give tzedakah, to do mitzvahs. And accordingly, a Kaddish Baruch when a Jew asks for wealth, why not give it to him? Because that is for you. It's all going to be given back to you. And accordingly, based on that, what is Achreinu Lechaim, Melech HaTzfchetz Lechaim, and what is Laman Chalokim Chaim? It goes as follows. We are telling a Kaddish Baruch why should you give life? We're giving the reason because we will give it all back to you in spades. Everything that we receive, a Kaddish Baruch will be used in the service 
of you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So in other words, when we say, when we say, please give us life, that it should be for your sake, we are giving the reason that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give us life because we will live a life that will be giving back fully to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is number one. Number two is by the Sfas Emes. Yes, a different take, similar, but a different take. He explains as follows. We say, and the mancha elokim chaim. What's for a kaddish baruch Hu's sake? The lemancha is not giving a reason to kaddish baruch Hu to give us wonderful life, but it is explaining what type of life we would like to live. It's part of the Bakasha. The Bakasha is as follows. The Kaddish Baruch Hu, please. Remember us for life. What type of life that we should live? What are we asking for? That we should live a life that is for your sake. We shouldn't waste life. We shouldn't waste the time. We shouldn't waste the gifts that we are given. But rather, the life that we live. This is the Bakasha, not just for life. But it's the life that we should live that should be dedicated to to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Very beautiful by the Sfas Emes. It is part of the Bakasha Leman Chalakim Chaim. What life would we like to live? Leman It should be a life that we can live dedicated and giving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Love to hear additional responses. Why do we say Leman Chalakim Chaim? Please send them all in. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now, let's go to our guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Loewi. Rabbi Loewi is the Rav of Agudas Yisrael in Toronto. He is a well-known posseg in North America and worldwide. He has published halachic books, articles, and the like. Rabbi Loewi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Rabbi Loewi. Always a pleasure. So, Rabbi Loewi, let's talk about retirement. On a high level, somebody comes to you and says, uh, I want to retire. What are your thoughts on retirement? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What's the hashkafas of Torah, and what's the hashkafas of, of the Rav on, on this topic? First, uh, the, the main topic is, should a person learn, or a person has to learn and work? So we know the Mishnah says, Kol Torah malacha that uh, you need both things. You need panosa, and, and that's why in Shulchan Aruch, you know, it brings down first the halacha of going from basic masses, basic medrash. Then in Kufnun Hay, it says about going masamat and do business. And there's a beautiful Rabbi Yankov Emden in a sitter, and the famous kasha, at one place the Gemara says, Chilas Dina Shaladam is al Talmud And the Gemara Shabbos says, the first thing you ask him, Asosav and Asata Be'emunah. So he says, and, and, and the steritz is beautiful, and anyone who could read it, but he writes right after Dabning and the halachos, so he writes that, sure, the chashiva is the main thing, we came to the world not to do business. We didn't come to the world to make money. We came to the world for Torah. Rebansha made this world that you need the cheritz with it. You know, after coming out of the Ma'ora, and he saw people being Isaac and Banasa, 
he, he didn't understand it. He, he burned everything. Then he went back for a year and he learned that that's the way Hashem created the world. Like it's just like the Gemara brings down that they want to take away the Yitzhar and they and they said if you could take away the Yitzhar, it won't be a world anymore. The 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 Rabbi Shalom created a world that you need both things. You need Panasa and you need a person can't live without Panasa. You need Panasa. You can't just sit down and say, I learn. And I don't care about Panos. The, the person who does that is going against what Hashem wants. Hashem wants us. That's why you see all the Tanoim who, who were in Omnus. And you need, you need something for Panosa. You have to have a way of having Panosa. Nowadays, Hashem, the Koylem will help people uh, learn. But, but, uh, the, but you need a source of Panosa. You can't have your wife suffer. And you can't make your wife suffer. I'm going to learn. I don't care about anything. You have to make sure there is a source of Panosa. If it comes by working, if it comes by business, if it comes by investments, if it comes by coil, but you have to know that you have a source of a panos. So the Bianca Emden says that, sure, it's in the is Torah. did you do as much as you can in learning? But the second thing is, in the, the, the way the life works, is the first thing is the source of a source You have to, did you do your, your, your shtadlis enough so you should be able to learn Torah? And uh, if a person goes, you won't be able to learn even Torah. You won't be able to be so be So the first thing is, sure, a person has to make sure he learns every day, like in his Rodan Allah every day, told brings down. You have to learn Torah every day and every day and in the morning and at night, you have to learn Torah. How much should you learn and how much of your time should you dedicate for learning? So that depends. The average person cannot learn all day. The average person, and, and that's what Chavz uh, Chaim writes out there in Kufnonei, when it says, that's the average person. The average person will not sit and learn a whole day. Will, can't, will not sit and learn all day. So the average person has to have some, an Adrab, the Bihagbamda writes that he'll, he'll get, he'll, he'll, he'll get an Einish for just wait, you can't learn all day, so do make business so you can be Panosu. You should be like the Gemara brings down that the Cloud Yisrael has the Shkoilis, those who learn Torah, and the Alia, those who help those who learn Torah. You need that. That's part of Cloud Yisrael. And someone who could do that and could help people learning Torah and he doesn't do it. No, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to waste my time all day. Try to learn. So a person like that should go work and don't spend and learn, but still you have to be Achiv to wait the Torah. But that's the normal person as a source of first you have to make and then but you have to so the question is about retiring you know should when should a person retire a person should not retire if he doesn't want to have a source of panasa social security checks are not enough to live on and, and you know the checks are not enough to live on it, i know there's one person in my Medrash, when he became a 55 he saw that he has enough money to be able to live at least till 75, 80, and, and not have any Daigas Panasa. Nitaka gave up 55, he stopped his Panasa, and he had Panasa, Barakshem. And, and not only that, he has Arichas Yom, he's now in the 90s, Baruch Hashem, and he got Arichas Yom from that. There's other, someone we just, Kurt Rochas, who was just Nifter, he was one of the big, everyone has known all over the world. Originally was, from Toronto. Yeah, he's from Toronto. He lived here till a few years ago. Right, he lived, he lived uh, not far from us in Yushalayim. So he, 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 was he, he was 101 years old. So he gave up his business when he was 57 years old. Say so he electric, he, and, and he occupied his, the rest of the time only in doing Torah and, and Chasodim. A whole day was Isaac Torah Chasodim. He also had a Rechus Yom. So it's interesting that these people who, uh, who 
they retired early because they saw they had a, and he also, he was a very Eisbrach and Tamensh. He would have never, he was a Torah de Herzegemensch. You know, he was a, from the Rothschilds and a German. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Ashkafa of Shamsh Paul Hirsch, that you need Torim de Herz. So he made sure he retired when he saw that he has enough money to, to bring in the rest of his life. And he, he didn't figure he's going to live till he's 101. But Rabbanisha was Baruch Yom and he had Baruch Hashem. So you see the people who, who are retiring early if they if they have sufficient funds and they know they'll be able to uh, to learn. So I know the, the, there's a big tzaddik in Chicago, Winchester. You know, uh, I know uh, it's written about him in many places, Winchester. He used to go, uh, and he was Amish, one of these big tzaddik, I was close to him. He used to go, uh, and that time, this one, I learned in, in Yeshiva and tells just 50 years ago, 50, 50, 55, and we were at that time already around 30 millionaires in, 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 in Chicago. He used to go Friday, and to every millionaire, what's your hector of still working? Why don't you go? Why don't you go learn the whole day? Why don't you go learn all day? And he, it bothered him. You have enough, you're a millionaire already. You're a millionaire already. You know, what, what, why, don't you, why don't you go learn already? You know, Rabbi Gondor of Kreisberg was Rashiv in Chicago. And so he once spoke, I heard him speak, and he said that uh, this person who uh, was, went through the Holocaust and he made a netter that if Hashem saves him, He's afterwards, he's going to set his time only to learning. So he met him after the war and he asked him, he said, I first have to have my source, Panasa. So after I have my source, that's what I meant. After Panasa, I'll sit and learn all the time. But sorry, I learned. So he meets, meets him 10 years later. He said, yeah, I have to first make my first million. I make my first million, then I'll, I'll... So then he met him 10 years later. He said, now he has to make his, his 10 million. So the person, they say, he was saying, you know, if you, yeah, you go, if you have enough already and you know you have enough to live on and you could learn all day. Someone can't learn all day. And, and then it's, and it's, but, but ain't the maze element of Batola. That's what comes to the question of time. Because I'll say, sitting around nothing will make you go, Batola may with Shimon. Sitting around doing nothing, sitting around at home, sounds good to Sean Bias. You know, being a whole day at home, and, and it's not good for yourself. You become a person, becomes a hermit, and even and, and go sitting around a whole day and speaking for him, and reading newspapers. This that's not, that's not the tachlis in life. Right. right. So, so I, I heard uh, probably about twenty something years ago, I went to a, a Friday night shear by a, a very very well known Rosh Yeshiva. It was uh, the OU Orthodox Union West Coast Convention, and he was speaking Friday night in Hancock Park, which is very wealthy. Very wealthy men were there, and he said, "If you have enough money in any, any given day to pay your bills, you have to close the office and go learn." So I guess the Rav would say, you know, it depends. I, I don't think that's very realistic on a given day to just close the shop. That means is, and that's what we, that's why everyone should learn that. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful that he writes that an average person, you can let, the Brahim doesn't demand from him to sit alone all day. He says, Zichr and the Sechops Chaim writes the same thing in, in, in the Beraloch there, that sure, the average person cannot sit alone. How also will also be all them? No, not everyone's of Shem There's a Yechidim. So he writes there, the Yechidim, sure, Yechidim don't have to have Malachot. Our Yechidim, and the same thing he writes later in Reish Lamed Alab, when he brings a chew of the Rashmul, or someone asks the question, should he go and, and work and only learn Torah Shabbos, or should he 
learn all week and get people should support him. So he, he brings out that sure, if the only way you could teach him learn the sure, you don't have to, people could support you. But, but if you, that's only for Yechidim, if you're going to sit and learn all day. If you're not going to sit and learn all day. So it's Batolim is not learning a soifa, gereris ovain, you know, chasushon. A person, occupation is a very good thing. Occupation therapy is very good, and especially when you become older also. It's just to sit around and not have what to do all day. And you're sitting around, you go someplace in the old age homes, you see people are sitting to die. You know, they're just, they're, they're waiting to do nothing. And to be occupied is a very good thing. And very, impo- very important thing. And to be felt, to be relevant. To be relevant is a very important thing. But retirement is after being the Sagrama. You know, a person, it's, it's probably best not to retire early for most people. Uh, like I said, the exceptions I had, most people, they should, it's better, they should, if they could learn more, they could, you know, they're just, uh, there's one person now in, in, in Flatbush who started, uh, you know, telling the people, instead of going to work nine o'clock, let's try to go to work 10 o'clock. And then he said, let's try 11 o'clock. And they came out, they made just as much money as if they were gone to work nine o'clock. And, and and they made just as much money. They, they because like the, like the, the it says with Shekhanara, that uh, you should know that, is the one who gives panasa. That's Iker, A person has to know panasa is really from the Rabbani Shalom. That's Machabah brings that also. So you know that panasa is from Rabbani Shalom. So, and the person made now, there's, he has a full Bismarck pool. Started with 10 people now, all Bismarck all start working. They only go to work after 11. They learn in the morning till 11. And they saw that then the panasa wasn't affected at all. You know, some people, you know, feel they have to work, you know, Rav Gifters once uh, came back from uh, raising funds for the yeshiva, and he said someone told him that uh, if you want an appointment by me, he went someplace in South America, you have to come at 6 o'clock in the morning, you have to come to me. So he comes there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he's already starting to work, and, and, and so Rav Gifter asked him, you know, why do you come so early in the morning? You know, he has a bed there, he slept. He said, look, if you sit down idle, you won't make any money. So Gifter learned from that. Last week, bit of Torah, Torah is called the ASIC. So he gave a whole schmooze. If you sit and, and you, you have to go to six o'clock to learn, you have to, you know, it means to think that you have to, that's again, the Rabbanishim doesn't want you to go 24 hours a day, do Panos and your other Abbasan. It's not, you'll make Panos if the Rabbanishim wants, and that's what the Chops Chaim Paskins say in the Chospes Knesset, as I later in that person should only work as much as you have to. And and there is how much you have to, that's the question. How, right. how much? How much is enough? Like the person told the Chrysler, he's still making this ten million. You know, like uh, uh, you know, how much is you have? It means if a person feels uh, that you know you work a few hours, there are other other people not my community here. Well, very much and they do that most of the day. They learn. They just go a few hours a day. They, they but they have the, the offices go, work going, and you know they go into the office. Uh, you know, a person like David Hafsad in their show, yeah, I mean, he's an example to show that you know, like uh, most of the day he sits and learns, but he has his office, his panos coming in, and and uh, and, and, uh, and his acre is tired, but he, he knows he has a source of panos and works on the panos. But instead of working a whole day on it, he, he works on and tired, and that's so. If you the question of going to retire, if you're the type who could sit and learn all day. And you have enough source panosa, and you know you could go to Bismedish to learn, or wherever you learn, you know you'll be occupied the whole time. So then you could retire. If a person does not have a source of panosa, and say uh, years from now, I'll have to talk. First of all, the wife has to be masculine. Not everyone. That's why Ramosha writes in the Chuva about you know a lot of take money from the koilu. He says, look, not every 
wife was ready to, to be a Lord's Tishon, you know, you could do it, demand it from yourself, you can't demand it from your wife. So if the only way you could learn is to take, sure, you, uh, you, you, you have a right to take, and that's what uh, she brings down the Rishlam and al But a person should know to retire and be mevat and be botola is that's the worst thing. Right. So, Rabbi Loi, it sounds like your, your preference would be cut down on the amount of work you do now in order to increase learning now, as opposed to working hard now and learn at the end of the day. Koala says, right? So it seems that's the proper approach. Yes, sure. Interesting. Now, what happens if somebody... Um, money and he knows that he could sit and learn all day, and he has enough, you know, then sure, he should do that. If he knows, and he knows he could learn all day, he could be occupied all day. And, you know, so then for sure, a person like that should, you know, like as I said, though, some people, the person who retired, and if you could sit and learn, you know, I made enough money and I could retire now. And there are many individuals in our community in Toronto, which is a wealthy community, there are many people like that who retired early and they still have the source of us, they have the investments, they have their real estate, making money. And they have the offices open. They don't go in. They learn most of the day. Now, what, what happens if somebody estimates that I have enough money to live on and he gets with his, his financial advisor for another 10 years or 15 years? Maybe he's in his 60s. But then I'm going to need tzedakah. Should that person continue working or should he? A person who makes the same shunam, nowadays people live till 80. If he doesn't have enough money till 80, then he should work till he has enough money till he's 80. Uh-huh. You shouldn't rely on, rely on tzedakah and... You know, not if who says your wife is going to be asking who says, you know, you can't rely on that. You know, you can't uh, rely on suck alone. I mean, so, in our days, even in America, there are many koilim for zakenim. You know, they have people who are retiring. I mean, the retiring age of the government is 65, 70. Yeah, and, and, and now, because of COVID, you know, they, they see they don't have enough uh, uh, employees. So they, they, you know, they're stopping. There used to be a time that you had to retire when you're 65. You had to retire by at that age. Now they just came out. I know the workforce is uh, very, because COVID and people are scared to go out. And this, uh, they, they want to go back to have elderly people working. There's a, a friend of mine from Yeshiva has, and, and a lot of elder people moving out to Lakewood. You no, know, like um, like all the communities all over the world are emptying out, all going to Lakewood, especially all the people who have their children living in Lakewood. So he made now, he has a workforce of elderly people finding jobs and people, and they find these experienced first people are the best workers. They, they're older already. They're more Miyushiv. They, they you know the family. They don't have to run home to babysit. They don't have to run home to, you know, to, to do other things. And they're the best workers. They, you know, they, so a person who is older and he can work and still and learn most of the day and learn, that's what, what happens. These people come to Lakewood. Most of the day, they, they, they learn, but they're still occupied. They still, that's what, if you still could be occupied till you're 80 and Learn most of the day and is the best. Someone who is the Yechidim, those Yechidim, Rabbanim, and people who could sit at Harvard all day. And, and, you know, but that's Yechidim, not the average yeah. person. Average should try to work as long as they can. Right. And, the Mishnah Burra standard is Kefi Koho. So that's, that's a, it's a subjective standard, not an objective standard. So, Rabbi Lo, you, you mentioned the Shalom bias component here, that uh, the husband needs to get the buy-in from the wife if he's making these significant changes in his life, retirement, cutting down, etc. What have you seen um, happen when somebody does retire? Are, are there Shalom bias improvements or are there uh, negative repercussions when somebody retires and he's more around in the household? I mean, there is, uh, you know, a problem, you know, uh... To be home a whole day and and be on the person's back and get involved too much in the kitchen, 
You know, my, my wife saying, you know, you, the kitchens for me is my domain. You go, you, you go into your study, you go in, you know, and, and, but if you're home all day, you know, you, you know, you come into the kitchen, then you criticize more. And so if you're the type of person who is always a uh, toiver, you're not going to bother your wife, and you know where to keep your distance, you know where to be, and, you know, uh, and then, but if it's not so healthy always to be around all day. So the best thing is to go to a Bismedish to learn, even, or to go, uh, not to be a home all day. No, I mean, there are Yechidim who could do it. But the average, you know, every Kali store is made for there's Echad Yoitze, but everyone else, so the, the average person has Torah and Melacha. You have to have both things. The average person needs to be occupied and can't learn all day. The average person can't go say that Penos will come from Shemaim, has to go do things to bring make Penos. So the average person, if you want to retire, only retire if you know that you, if you still could make retirement and work a little, that's the best thing. Not to completely retire. I mean, still be occupied. You go for a few hours a day. If you have a business or you could go to work for a few hours a day. And I know a lot of these you know, people who are ex-malamdom, ex-teachers. So when they get older, they take, you know, a substitute job. You know, they work a few, but they still are working. So first of all, work is very healthy. It's very healthy to be occupied, occupation. And and uh, if you work a few hours and learn, learn the rest of the time, and you go out of the house, and you don't you don't hang out the whole day in the house, that's the best. Yeah, some people use retirement. They go with their wives. To, uh, they have more time to go with their wives' places. I'd rather they have more time. You know, some people work so hard their life. They, they then then so you, as long as you do it in a way that you're 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 respecting your wife's wishes and 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 you make her feel good. Also, it's it's a unit together. Husband and wife is one unit together. So you, if it's the retirement, should be a place of shalom. You know, the golden years, the golden uh, the golden years. It should be gold years, not should be chas shalom years. That you know, uh, go out, get out of the house already. You know, what do you want? You know. Like be a time where you're living b'shol and b'shal. So it does bring a lot of people. Then you know, if they do it and do with the right cheshman, and they they consider their wife, and they know they're considering. You know, I could go now a week vacation with you. You know, till now I never went on vacation. Now I could go with you on a vacation. You go together. I know the some gedolim used to go. For, you know, after they retired, used to go walk every day with their wife for an hour. You know, go, you know, they have more time. So it's not but the you know, because you're doing it. You, you, you have, I remember once Ryan uh, Eifruf uh, tells one of the Choshevs, the Bochum, tells, was a real big mass and everything. So if Gifter spoke about Eifruf, so if Gifter wanted, said, you know, every day you have to speak to your wife at least an hour. One hour a day you have to speak to your wife. Take up from your time. So Zbiki Vega writes, that every day I spoke to my wife an hour. means... You have to give your wife, you know, you, you get married, you, you're irresponsible to the marriage. And that's what Bansha wants. We have to be normal beings. Then you're a Shemayim. If you're not an Adam, a mensch means someone who lives a normal life, normal thing, speak to your wife, take care of your wife, do things. And, and um, so retirement could be a golden years with Tyra and, and the Cheretz and the Cheretz both ways, the Cheretz of Manman and the Cheretz of the Cheretz. Right. So it's, a, it's defining our Tarba So it's saying Tarba is above an hour or two hours or three hours, but within an hour is not, is not a reboy Sicha. Yeah, not a word at all. <laughs> 
So, so when talking about the uh, interactions of the husband and the wife, so what the Rav is saying, it should be Tiferes love, a Tiferes li ishto. How about yeah. when we throw the uh, when we throw the mix of the children in, and they could be in there in, in Lakewood, and the children are around, but they're obviously very busy with their lives. The children have their own children, and they uh, they have a parnasa to deal with, or the kolel, and 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 uh, etc. So, w- how should the children deal with the retirement when the parents have more time on their hand, and the parents, the children, hopefully have time to spend, but they are also very involved in their own responsibilities. Well, parents have to be smart and know that a person is married, his first responsibility is to his wife and to his children. And you can't demand, just because you're retired, you can't put a bigger demand on them. A person gets sick and everything, you know, there's which is the biggest mitzvah in the Torah. But in a regular, every every day, a person, you know, you, you you, you speak to your parent every day, you call them every day. And if you have a few minutes extra, you go visit them. But the parent has to be smart enough to know that the child is busy. He has his, his time for learning, has his time for uh, working, has his time for taking care of his family. So a person, especially, there's a difference between a man and a wife. Uh, a man, a woman is completely, um, you know, subjected to her husband. And uh, but still, a woman should still be mechaber of parents. And the husband should be smart enough to let her take care of her parents. But uh, but uh, a person should know just because my, my my parent retired doesn't mean uh, now from now on I I go uh, and spend I know uh, it causes a lot of shalom bias problems by young people when the husband goes too much to to the parent you know I and you know, in the last few months I had people calling me then you know that he's you know my son my husband I think he's more by my my by my his father than he comes to me and he you know so a person has to know we, the young people their obligation is their family. And but they still have a chiv. Kip it means make up once a week you come, or you, or you know whatever. But you should make show the parent that you're ready to help them and you're ready to to be with them. But the, the parent has to know that the child has their own life. It, it my, needs to be balanced. You need balance, like like anything else in life. My my shver, used to say when he came to Detroit, he had a very interesting dinner. He went to an old age home, and. Uh, he, a uh, person who speaking to him, he said, I want to call my son to the entire. He says, I'm here in the old age home. My son never, never comes to visit me. Comes to me once a month, he comes to visit me. You know, I, why, why should he come every day at least? So he said, where's your son? He said, he gave him his address, came came to the son, and he said, you know, your father has a tie on you. He said, you know how old I am? He said, this is six years ago. He said, I'm 75 years old already. My, my father is 95, Kanar Baruch Hashem. You know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, I do as much as I can. You know, I, I would love to go every day, but I'm too old. I, it's hard for me. So my shver went back to the father. Said, "As eh, a young guy, he's still a young kid. He's still he's babying himself. Why doesn't he come every day?" And same, but it means you have to understand. You know that you know you have to know what your child's. You have to know what child's crisis. But, but the main thing is, child should show that they do care and they do as much as they can. But a child does not have to get this fall if, if they put too much demand on him. You should know the child has to know their, their responsibility now is to bring panosa to their family. They're, you know, you can't give up your panosa now because my father retired, I'm going to retire. <laughs> and and uh, you still have to be responsible. Right. So, Rabbi Loi, back to retirement. Um, specifically, I view it as there's like two types of retirement. Somebody who has worked for a number of decades, and this is certainly uh, more of the elderly crowd. They've worked 20, 30, not 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and they saved money. 
little by little, and now they're in their 60s, 70s, and they're ready to retire. There's another approach, and it's more nowadays that everyone is more in a, in a rush. I want to make quick money. I want to have a startup company and bring it public, or I want to make a ton of money by being in real estate quickly and lending money and this and that. And and people are in a rush nowadays to make a boatload of money. What's the Rav's view of that second approach? I mean, a person... You know, if the, if, as long as it doesn't take a toll on him, you know, as, as Marshall, like if a person could work three hours a day and, and the rest learn and, and he could make a lot of money, but to go and, and uh, work 18 hours a day to make a lot of money and to not learn every day. And it's person, everything has to be in a derech, I'm sorry, a, a normal, you know, that means, sure, if you could, if you could make a startup company and you could, uh, and you could make panasa. And you know you have Panasa, and it's you know Adrab. That's what Rishon gives us the, the ability. And Baruch Hashem, you know, after the Second World War, Rishon gave uh, the Shefa that came to Kali Yisrael, and people have you know Baruch Hashem. They they are matzliach, you know. And but a person, the approach should not be I'll make a lot of money now, and that's it. You know, it's you make as much as you you know you you do your investment, you do it what you can, and if you could do it, if it's easy and it's not taking a toll on your family. And I tell you, if it takes a toll on a person, that's the uh, the 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 rule of the thumb. You no, know, the, the 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 test is to see. You know, is it taking a toll on you? Is it? Are you going uh, getting anxious? Are you you have no time for yourself. You have no time to doubt. You have no time to learn. You have no time to with your family. Yeah, a person should give time to his family, time for davening and time in minion. You know, and uh, time for learning. So that's the the litmus test to see. Is it? Are you doing something normal? If you're doing normal, I'd rather if you make a lot of money in Blanchum, it gives us a schuss and you can use money to support Tyra and you can use the money to 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 support your children and to support uh, it's a mitzvah. There's nothing wrong, but as long as it doesn't take a toll on you. And it's uh Kala Venikia. Yeah, that's what the, the Mishnah says. You should take, uh, you know, teach. Yeah. Rabbi Loi, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's really always a pleasure speaking with the Rav and uh, so many insights and, and important, valuable uh, points that we hear from you. Uh, very much appreciated. Okay, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to speak to you and it's a pleasure what you're doing. Being Marvitz Torah, Hashem should help you in your Abbas's Torah and you should have Takah be able to be, do, learn Torah with Menucha with Danosa and everything. And we should all learn Torah with Menucha and we should have a good Chaydish and a good Gebench Torah. Amen, amen. Joining us now is Dr. Ross Andel. Dr. Andel is the professor in the Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation at Arizona State University. He has extensively researched and published on the impact of retirement on brain function. Dr. Andel, thank you so much for joining us. It is my pleasure. So, Dr. Andel, on a high level, is retirement bad for your brain? Somebody retires, does it have a negative impact? And how does retiring influence brain function? If we can start, for example, memory, what's the impact that somebody has retires and the memory, does the memory start going by virtue of retirement? So the the, the broadest question would be not necessarily. Uh, there's a great variety of outcomes after retirement, and it depends on a number of uh, factors. Some of them are out of our control. Some people, when they're actually retiring, they retire because they have to. Maybe their health is not the greatest. And uh, retirement may actually contribute to an improvement in their uh, brain function because you relieve the stress of working. For others, 
uh, they might be uh, declining due to uh, changes in the brain that just simply continue after retirement, regardless of what we do. And others fall into uh, inactivity after retirement, and then you see negative outcomes of retirement on brain function. Oh, so, so if I would qualify the question and say, is retirement bad for your brain if you're going to be inactive? How, how would you answer that? Then the answer is yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. Now, inactive, well, I guess we'll talk about, does that mean physically or intellectually inactive? I think that's well, probably important or is, it, or is it both? That's a great question. That That is a great question. I think most assume that to prevent... Uh, degeneration of the brain that goes beyond natural aging, uh, you have to be mentally active. But we see that uh, physical activity can have the same effect. And sometimes the, the effect size, uh, as far as preventing uh, precipitous cognitive decline, the effect sizes might be greater for physical activity than mental activity. But both activities obviously are good. It, really, the, the biggest issue with retirement is that Sometimes people just assume that uh, retirement is a, a lifelong vacation. Uh, they lose their sense of, uh, uh, they, they lose routine, they lose the, their sense of sort of determination and uh, goal orientation, that they, they lose the goals that they used to have. They somewhat sometimes lose their identity because they, uh, the work may be part of their identity and uh, they kind of slide into a new world uh, that involves a number of uh, dangers and traps that, uh, uh, you know, that are particularly, uh, they particularly revolve around inactivity. But whether it's, it's, it's physical or So both can have a negative impact. I remember uh, growing up in Los Angeles and there was a park, I think it was called Roxbury Park, and they had lawn bowling. I had never heard of lawn bowling. I know what bowling is, but lawn bowling. And I remember that the average age of people who were lawn bowling, which was rolling bowls along the lawn, was in excess of 80. And uh, I, I associated that with uh, a retirement sport. So I guess that is something that could help in these issues that we're talking about today. Yes, absolutely. So you might, you'll have these lawn bowlers and they'll be there on time. They'll come early, they'll warm up and uh, they will socialize and engage in lawn bowling. And when they're going to bed the night before, they're already looking forward to going lawn bowling the next day. And someone might say, well, isn't it better for them to stop lawn bowling and do something really mentally engaging like Sudoku? Well, what if they don't like Sudoku? What if they want to do lawn bowling? I can tell you that lawn bowling will be much better for them than something that they might necessarily enjoy, even if there's evidence that it might be better for them. So uh, I think this is great. You know, people found something they like, they get to socialize, they get to be physically active and mentally active. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be rocket science, just lawn bowling will be just fine. So it's a great example you present. Interesting. So if, um, if you have to be, happen to be a scientist in this area and you want to study the impact of retirement, inactive retirement on memory, for example, what's the process you go through in studying something like this? Well, it usually involves a large data set, uh, preferably a pre-established data set that already has data on how people perform cognitively. You know, you want to have some information on their memory, on their speed of processing, maybe on their reasoning skills. And then you want to try to follow them from their working years into retirement and then past retirement to see whether there is any development. So you probably need good 10, 15 years of data to be able to, de to do this type of research so that you can truly look at change. Uh -huh. and, and you're looking at memory, speed of thinking, 
Uh, I guess those are two two major uh, brain functioning areas. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So th those are the best indicators of uh, the overall uh, brain health. So memory, particularly something like episodic memory, you know, remembering events and um, speed of processing, how quickly uh, you can um, identify things or make a decision, uh, how quickly you process information. Now, what percentage of people have declines in memory, speed of processing upon retirement, especially inactive retirement? Are there numbers available for that? It's really difficult to estimate. Um, and it also depends on what exactly is meant. So on one hand, uh, there's just inherent natural aging that we all slow down. Uh, the slowing in the speed of processing may begin in the mid-30s, and it continues from there. Uh, and we're all part of that. Everyone who's alive goes through the process of cognitive aging. So if we look at it that way, it would be 100%. But then uh, if you ask specifically who is negatively affected by retirement, obviously, the number is much smaller. I, I really cannot even uh, try to estimate it. Uh, but there's a proportion of people who respond negatively uh, to retirement. And the proportion seems to be large enough for us to uh, really pay attention to what happens uh, when we retire and how we adjust to retirement, how we respond to it in terms of uh, the structure of our days, uh, the goals that we have, and uh, how we fulfill our time during in retirement. Uh -huh. So those are the ways to uh, attempt to avoid the decline, being active, physically, mentally active, and hopefully that will assist in the process. Uh, it's going to happen, in other words. If it starts when you're in your 30s, this is like a train that has left the station, but at least maybe we can slow the train down a little bit. I, I think so. So really, that's sort of the price for living. You know, as we live, we age. That that's that's the price we pay. That we cannot avoid it. We we can certainly modify it, um, but we cannot avoid it completely. And you know, just to make one comment here. Uh, so you're commenting on the fact that people should stay active. I think just it's important to re-establish some meaningful routine in retirement. Uh, inherent, you know, just naturally uh, being in a job gives us a certain routine. We need to get to work at a certain time. We have to perform certain tasks, which limits our time before and after work. So we have to be disciplined to a certain regard to truly, you know, use our time wisely so that we complete during the day what we need to complete. The pressures on us in terms of this discipline and routine are much smaller or they tend to be much smaller in retirement uh, so actually having that pressure is a good thing having the pressure of having to come day that's a good thing uh, not necessarily every day as in seven days a week but you know having uh, most days fulfilled with meaningful activities is very important you know if you have a plan and a routine that automatically makes you active but the question is is it the activity that's most useful or is it the maintenance of the routine that's most helpful, okay? And I want to highlight the importance of routine. Unfortunately, I don't have any good um, scientific evidence for this, but it seems like there's much more to it than just being active, you know, that, 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 that the routine that people lose with retirement seems to be important as well. Now that's, that, that's a fascinating thing. So you, activity is important, routine is important, and if you can do both, that's obviously the best. Yeah, they kind of do, co do come together. I just want to make sure that people understand that it's not just being randomly active, but it seems like there's something about kind of maintaining a certain routine. 
that should so be helpful as well. Let me walk you through this. Uh, a lot of uh, Jewish Orthodox retirees, what they do is uh, after they retire, wh- while they're working as well, they'll study a little bit. In particular, what's called the Talmud, which is a fairly complex text. It's in Hebrew and Aramaic, although there are translations. And what they will do upon retirement is increase the amount that they devote to study, oftentimes in uh, groups together of friends, and there's a rabbi that's teaching it. And uh, for example, they'll show up at eight in the morning and stay till 12 in the afternoon, and that'll be the the regiment, that will be the routine. So I I guess you'd have the benefits there of having friends, having a routine, having an activity, and certainly that would not be a, a mental retirement. How would you rank that as an, an activity for uh, retirees to, to participate in? Well, it seems like a, a, a lot of people in your community will have passion for this, right? This is something that they truly want to do. And being retired gives them the opportunity to engage in this. So it, it's really the perfect example of how to uh, buffer against the potential adverse effects of uh, retirement on brain function, that you have an activity that you now are able to do, that you can commit to. It gives you a routine. It gives you a sense of purpose. Uh, it keeps you active. And active, it seems like, both intellectually and socially. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's perfect. It, it really seems like something that can be really beneficial in the long run. I mean, you gave me two examples now. One would be the lawn bowling, which, again, gives people purpose. It brings them together. There's sh- surely more than just... Uh, Alone bowling itself, you know, it's also a social activity. In this case, you have something that probably more intellectually, that is probably more intellectually engaging, but the example is not that far off. It seems like the, the learning of Torah and Talmud should be the morning activity, and then you go to a healthy lunch, and then you do the lawn bowling or fishing or basketball in the afternoon, and that'd be the ideal routine. There you go. And look, if, if your niece don't agree with basketball, that's okay. You know, you don't have to do that, but you're right. I mean, just finding a sense of purpose in your days uh, will go a long ways uh, against, uh, you know, any negative effects of retirement. Right. Now, one final question. The amount of time spent, if somebody can spend one hour versus four hours or four hours versus six hours, how important is the amount of time spent? And also how important is the difficulty of the mental exercise? Okay. So starting with the amount of time, uh, it's possible that there's sort of that the rate of return is diminished after a certain amount of time, and it just depends. It's very individual. This is really difficult to measure, in fact. Uh, but there is some evidence that uh, going too far with certain activities uh, will, uh, um, particularly with physical activity, in fact, might might be uh, counterproductive. There, there are uh, physiological reactions like oxidative oxidative stress uh, that will cause actually. Uh, you know, tissue. In terms of uh, mental activity, you might just get uh, uh, mentally tired and potentially frustrated with the activity if it takes too long. So people just need to be wise about how long they engage in each activity. So more is not necessarily better. Uh, you know, I, I, it's not a good way to think. It's it's just uh, just being wise. You know, what, what can you do, and you fit uh, into the, the the right range of activity, if possible. And in terms of intensity, it kind of goes along with that as well. It does not have to be an intense activity. It's really about uh, having that purpose, you know, having something that you know you will do tomorrow. You will get up with a purpose. You will accomplish your activities. And at the end of the day, you will say, well, this day was worth living, mm-hmm. you know? 
you go to bed and you do the same thing tomorrow. Interesting. So, so purpose is critical. Pur- purpose, enjoyment and yep. purpose, what you're doing. Yeah. Dr. Andel, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I, I love when I, I reach out to somebody who's never heard of our podcast and, and just ask, do you mind coming on? And uh, you were more than happy to come on and really appreciate your joining us today. It's, it was my pleasure. Yeah, it's been great talking to you and uh, best of luck to you and your listeners. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Naftali Horowitz, Rabbi Naftali Horowitz. I know you don't like me saying rabbi, but Naftali Horowitz, nonetheless, is a financial advisor. He is a managing director at Morgan Stanley and the author of You Revealed, A Torah Path to a Life of Success. It's an excellent book. I did read it cover to cover. It's now available in Yiddish as well. Rabbi Naftali, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ari, as always. So we are talking about a topic that you don't have to prepare for. So uh, in fact, we just emailed back and forth and said, can I interview you? And said, how's now? Basically, that was the the conversation on email. So we got on and we are uh, interviewing now about retirement. And as an initial actually question or or three questions, it's really uh, three of the same, but different questions. I'd like you to wear three different hats. And I'm going to ask you three different or the same questions. And number one is if you put on your hashkafa hat, kind of your the book hat, you revealed a Torah path to a life of success hat. What do you think about retirement? Is it advisable, ill-advised? Does it depend on the individual? So wearing your hashkafa hat, what is your view of retirement? So hashkafically, let's, let's just take that into two aspects. There's a monetary aspect and hashkafically, we go to work every day. Um, as the Torah tells us, that a person spends a number of years working to earn a living as part of the um, correction mechanism or the enhancements that work make available to us as people in building our midos and our ability to spread Kiddush Hashem in the world. The way HaKadosh Baruch Hu designed the person is that they're probably not going to have the strength um, or nor should they need to do that for the rest of their life. So Ashkafically, planning for retirement is Hashtadl is just like everything else. means that for a number of years, you will be working so that you can have lechem to eat for the rest of your life. And at some point, we begin to live off the work that we did when we were young, much like Yosef HaTzadik, you know, advises Parai to uh, put away during the good years for the years that they won't be. So, you know, it, a lot of people sort of grapple with, well, is there a problem with the token, as an example, that I say, well, I will need money 30, 40 years from now. Should I put money into 401k or should I not? Is that a chayser betachen? Well, I don't believe so. From the Muslim that I've learned, this is the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu designed the world, that we have to plan for a time when we won't be able to work um, and we should do so prudently. The second aspect of Ashkaf of retirement is that a person has to plan for it in terms of what they're going to do all day. One of the biggest challenges of people that are retired is that they they don't have what to fill their days with and they end up being depressed and just out of sorts because they felt very productive during their working years. So for us, B'nai Taira, for us, Klai Yisrael, you know, the concept of learning and constantly being engaged in learning and keeping Tyra at your side, if even for an hour a day or whatever time you can set aside means that you never leave Tyra behind, 
you will find that when you retire and you have more time, you will have what to fill that time with because your trusted friend, whether it's Dafyomi or whether it's other shirim that you would kaveya, will be able to fill up your time and make you feel purposeful and productive. Like the Pasuk, Zachor Esparecha B'mei B'churosecha. You know, do it when you're younger as well, and then you can continue when you retire. Exactly. And, and on, your, on your first point about Bitachon, Rav Moshe Feinstein actually has a tshuva. Can you buy life insurance, or is that a lack of Bitachon? And he said exactly what you're saying, that it's, it's certainly not a lack of Bitachon. That is necessary, hishtadlis. So I think you're, exactly. you're, you're in good company there. So if we move on exactly. to, to your second hat. Practically speaking, I mean, you have clients who have saved and retired. What have you seen that happens to people in retirement? Are there trends that you see? Are there advisable steps that you see that other people should follow? Yeah. So going back to my first point, I think you have to have a real plan before you retire. Um, The mistake that I've seen people make is just assuming that with extra time, they'll find joyful and meaningful ways to spend it. Um, many people mentally decline in retirement. Um, this is true for people that had very um, engaging jobs, whether they're school teachers, whether they're accountants, people that were actively and intellectually engaged um, during their working years decline sometimes precipitously when they go into retirement because say a woman who was a teacher for many, many years or a school principal, um, and all of a sudden she finds herself with all this extra time and she doesn't find baking for her grandchildren stimulating enough, well, she's going to start to intellectually decline. So it's so important for a person, practically speaking, to just not just think about how much their financial needs are going to need to be met in retirement, but even as much, if not more so, how their spiritual and mental and intellectual needs are going to be met. And therefore, again, when you're gearing up to retirement, you want to really start engaging in activities, whether it's joining book clubs or whether it's um, getting involved in chesed organizations. It's really, or, or, or taking on a new study that you've never embarked on before so that you will find yourself busy and really producing in out of the workplace, just like you were being productive inside the workplace. So busy and productive and, and plan in advance for those uh, future activities. Correct. So the trends that I've seen there are people that are productive in other ways throughout the years will continue to be very productive. Meaning if, if they were if they were multifaceted and they weren't just about earning a living and they didn't just have a job. I mean, I have so many clients that are busier now that they're retired than they ever were. They sit on multiple boards and committees. They're actively involved in all kinds of charities and efforts to better the world. And they're, 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 they're literally swamped in retirement and they couldn't be happier. They kvetch and moan about it sometimes, but I always say, wouldn't you rather this than the alternative? And they say, I, I couldn't even think about the alternative. So now, again, you've got to start when you're young and you have to keep it up. Now, uh, the people that are active, involved in charities, that sounds like that they have the financial ability to assist. Uh, I, I assume it's the same thing, whether you have the fin- financial ability or not, even if you don't have the financial ability, but you have the ability, even absence the finances, to contribute in n- numerous ways. There are numerous ways that, you, that organizations need volunteers and 
you don't even have to work for organizations. You could just be a cloud person. Um, you could be a mentor to people that are starting out in the workplace. Um, you can help children that are struggling. There's just so much time that retirees have and so much knowledge and experience that they could share with others if they just motivate themselves to figure out how to do that. Right. So let, let me ask you the third of the same question. Put on your financial advisor hat. What do you mm-hmm. think about retirement in the sense that when is somebody able to retire? And there's a lot of variability in things. The market, if you have money in the market, it can drop 20%, 30%. It could go up 10%. Uh, somebody can be hit with unexpected expenses, maybe even very significant unexpected expenses. So is there a rule of thumb and there are diagnostic ways that people can uh, run their finances? And obviously, when you're going into retirement, the income is going to go down often precipitously and may end, uh, that's the income from a job. So how do we think about when is somebody comfortable and confident to be able to go into retirement and not have to worry that they will have to come out of retirement at a certain point? Okay, good question. So um, there there is a rule of thumb, and I'm going to give you the caveat to that rule of thumb. There used to be a 4% rule on Wall Street, and the 4% rule is that you can spend 4% of your liquid assets in retirement. Um, and, you know, have a high degree of probability. We can never say certainty on Wall Street, but we can say a high degree of probability that you'll live out your life and be able to maintain that spending. So just quick numbers, a million dollars would allow you $40,000 of income in year one, and that $40,000 of income would grow with inflation each year as long as, the caveat being, that you're properly invested and that you stay properly invested. So if you have a portfolio that throws off 6 to 7% on an annualized basis, and you're spending 4% of that before inflation, and then you inflate that number, and you should, you should have your corpus available throughout your lifetime. Okay, um, so you're, you're, you're just, uh, you're, li- you're living off the, the increase, and, uh, and you're going to be able to maintain your, your principal amount throughout your life then? You should be able to. You may not be able to, but that's okay. You don't have to maintain your principal as long as you, as long as you are sort of chipping away at your principal slowly over time. Because the goal here is not to pass away with all the money. The goal is to make it stretch over a period. Because remember, as inflation compounds, you're going to have larger and larger decreases or outflows in that portfolio over time. And Wall Street has some very good modeling tools to help a person make these types of decisions. Now, of course, your portfolio is not the only thing that you want to count on. You hopefully will have either a pension or you'll have Social Security. Um, and if you're married, both of you. So you have to factor in those incomes as well. Um, you also want to try, you know, during your younger years, to lower your expenses so that when you do hit retirement, things like mortgages or car leases and other things that chip away at your monthly income are not going to be there so that your variability of spending, at least on that, should be a lot lower. The other thing is is that inflation has reared its ugly head. Um, We haven't seen inflation, at least I haven't seen inflation in my lifetime. You, Ari, haven't seen it as well. Um, But many of the people that are retiring today have seen inflation, and they probably hope they will never see it again. But 
here we are and we're seeing inflation. Whether this type of inflation stays for a long time or not, very difficult to know. But without a question, inflation will be higher for the foreseeable future, which means that people that are thinking about retiring now have to make decisions. They have to decide either not to retire and try to stick it out of the workplace a little bit longer, or perhaps retirement takes on a little bit of a different characteristic than it would have otherwise, whereas they may cut back on expenses. So maybe if they go away for Pesach, they may have to plan that that may not be the case. Um, less vacations and just to see, take another look at their budget and see where they can cut corners because if this inflation stays around for a while, as you said, the last thing we want to do is come out of retirement. I'm going to say one other thing about retirement, which I don't think people really appreciate, um, which is psychologically for some people, it's extremely difficult. I've seen people who become extremely tight-fisted, even they were very, very loose with money or generous with money, and then one day they retire and it hits them that this is all I have to live off for the rest of my life. There's no more of that new money component. They can't generate new wealth through a paycheck or through something else. You would be surprised that I have clients that are worth north of $50 million or $100 million who are actually impacted by this. It's a psychological um, thing that they one day wake up and realize I am unemployed. I had a client who was worth $50 million who would, every time his wife would call me to tell, tell me to call him to, to tell him that they can afford to buy something, and I would call him, he'd say, don't you understand I'm unemployed? Now, I've seen a lot of people get impacted by this. Um, and this is something that you have to think about. Because the last thing you want to do is spend your latter years of your life arguing with your spouse or being stingy with your children when this is the time when you're supposed to really and truly enjoy living. So this is something people should think about and try to imagine what it's going to be like and try to gain perspective on the wealth that they accumulated and how they can think better about retirement once they Mm -hmm. retire. It may be better to keep on working if that's the case. Definitely. Interesting. Now, we have a lot of listeners who are on the younger range of ages. So it sounds like retirement is a discussion when you reach your, you have to start planning when you're your 50s and 60s. But what do you say to the people who are just starting work who are having a difficult time making ends meet? So you have your income coming in and everything's expensive. Do you have to start planning from then? Should you put away a little bit money at that point? Or should you wait till your, maybe your income goes up 30s, 40s, something like that? The answer there is it really depends. If you, if, you are in a, if you are in a trajectory of career where Alpiderach Hateva, there will be large increases in the money you earn in the future, then it's perfectly okay to wait into your 30s, but I wouldn't go longer than that, to start putting away money for retirement. The first thing you should realize is that the power of compounding as it's called the eighth wonder of the world, is just unbelievable. And I don't think a 22-year-old appreciates what $1,000 in the S&P will mean for retirement. And you can do this on any financial calculator, but the numbers are absolutely astronomical. So if you can sock away $1,000 for 
$1,500 in, into anything in your 20s per year into the S&P, especially if you do it inside of an IRA, it's going to greatly impact your ability to retire and your lifestyle in retirement. I know it's difficult. I was there and I was barely making ends meet. Now, having said that, I appreciate that some people could just not even find that $1,000. So if you're in a type of a job where you can grow, then you have to become disciplined starting in your 30s. Because if you don't, you're really, really going to lose out. And that means if you're in a sales job, for example, and you start seeing commissions coming in, if you're running your own business, that things are starting to settle down. If you're getting advancements in your career, and you realistically see that continuing, you join a 401k, you try to put away at least the amount that they're going to match, you invest it aggressively into things like the S&P 500. And if you do that in your 30s, you should be fine. If you wait until your 40s and 50s, and you're going to be pay- playing serious catch up during a time when expenses don't necessarily go down, they oftentimes go up a lot. It's when you start making weddings, It's when your kids start needing help from you and so on and so forth. So you should not kid yourself and say, there's always going to be time in the future. It's not necessarily going to be the case. And sometimes you have to make difficult decisions. You have to cut back on things that you would like to have right now if you want to hope to retire one day in the future. It's a very important point, spending or or not spending and uh, enjoying today versus enjoying tomorrow. Exactly. Okay, very good. So on a pra- very practical level, uh, somebody wants to save, they open up an, an, an investment account, they go to like a Fidelity Investments or a Schwab and try to put away even $20 a month, $100 a month, $200 a month, at least to get going, something like that. Yes. The beauty of these accounts, Vanguard allows it, Fidelity allows it, I think others do it as well, is they pull the money out of your bank account. It becomes like another mortgage. Um, there's two, there's two benefits to that. One is that the money goes out the door. You don't even think about it. Um, which is why 401ks are so successful because you never take the money in possession and then give it to the 401k. Cause if you did, you'd never do it. It comes out of your paycheck. So this is literally coming out of your income. You can coincide that the day that you get your paycheck deposited into your account and you can have a company like Vanguard pull out a hundred dollars. So that's benefit one. Benefit two is is that it gets automatically invested. So you don't have to make the decision. Is today a good day in the market or is it a bad day in the market? Are you in a good mood or are you in a foul mood? If you're going to think about those investments, you're probably never going to make them as well. Well, the market just went up so much. Maybe I should hold off. The market's down so much. Maybe I should hold off. So that discipline, dollar cost averaging into the market is going to be very, very helpful. So, so Naftali, what you're saying is that people shouldn't be guessing when is it up, when is it down. Dollar cost averaging means just put it in on a regular basis. For example, monthly, you're never going to be at the height. You're never going to be at, at the lows, but on average, you'll do very well. Exactly. Okay, got it. Um, any last- I could, tell you, I could just tell you a personal anecdote. In the worst year in the market that I ever experienced, experienced was 2009, um, the period of 2008 and 2009 where the S&P was down 52%. Um, I, I took a look at my 401k um, at the end of 2010, I believe it was. And 
it was the most extraordinary period for me personally because I was buying into the market in 2009 as it was crashing. And I put money in during that whole crash and kept putting money in as it was recovering. Something I never thought about even once, didn't even realize or thought about that I was doing it. But the compounding on that money was unbelievable. So keep putting it away and don't, don't worry about where the market is. Exactly. Very good. Uh, Naftal, any final uh, comments for people how to make a retirement successful? You may want to in your younger years. Um, think about, so going back to that, that psychological point for a second, right? Um, we're, your piggy bank is now going to be your lifeline. Until now, your, your paycheck was your lifeline. Well, of course, your betachen and your amuna was your lifeline, but your, your practical lifeline was the money that was coming in every month on your paycheck. Now, now all of a sudden, you're going to be looking at an account statement, as an example, right? Some people ignore their investments for many, many, many years. They leave it in the 401k, they invest it appropriately, and they think that they have a good handle on what they're going to feel like when they retire. But then one day they retire and all of a sudden they start paying attention to their accounts. They start paying attention to volatility, things they never thought about, as an example, when they were working. Because who had time and who cared? They always thought it's long-term money. I don't need to worry about it. But now it's not long-term money anymore. And now it starts to matter. And the last thing you want to do is spend your entire retirement watching CNBC, as some people do, or checking your stock symbols every five minutes, because that's not a way to retire. So we might want to think about another aspect of retirement, which is how my assets should be invested. And what kinds of things will allow me to sleep at night? So this is one of the reasons why I encourage people to consider real estate, you know, perhaps as one example, or putting away money in a pension as another example. Um, what, we, what we would want to have for some people emotionally is a stable source of income that would complement a stock and bond portfolio and social security and other things so that they have some form of stability. Um, the other thing I do for many of my clients is I set them up with monthly wires. So they feel like the portfolio is paying them on an ongoing basis. So it sort of mimics the way they used to live before. So these are just some things for people to think about that are approaching retirement. Um, but overall, if you have enough money set aside, and you haven't become addicted to spending on needless things, and you know you have a plan. Kaddish Baruch Hu, Be'ezus Hashem, will help most people retire. Unfortunately, a lot of people do not plan. A lot of people hope for the best or say Hashem will help, but they don't actually do any ishtalat, and they can't retire. And that's a very, very sad state of affairs because. We want to retire. We want to spend more time learning. We want to spend more time with our children and grandchildren. We want to have some more menuchas and nefesh and achavas adas. We don't want to necessarily punch a clock for the rest of our lives. And every one of us could do it with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help if we make the right ishtadlis from when we're younger. Uh, just uh, one, one last question that comes to mind. Um, tzedakah. 
Tzedakah, Meiser, Ksafim. So I, I often tell people what they should do is have a separate Meiser account. Very difficult if you're cutting checks from your bank account, you feel you're giving of your own money. But if you have a separate account and immediately you uh, put 10% in whenever you receive income into a separate account, it's very easy to give it away because you don't consider it your account. C- can somebody set up the Vanguard, Fidelity and the like accounts to immediately suck it out of their bank account and put it into a segregated Meiser account as well, not only retirement, account? Is that a way that we can have a Meister account set up as well? Yes. The answer is, of course. Um, I, I do that. I've done that for many, many, many years. Um, I, don't, I don't have a separate account at Vanguard or anywhere like that. I just have a separate bank account, which is nicknamed my charity account. Um, it's it's taxable account. It's not like a, a, an actual um, foundation. I have a donor advice fund, which is a separate idea, which we're not going to get into now. But the answer is yes. You can you can set up an account with a, with a Vanguard as an example. What you would want is an account with check writing privileges, um, and you can set up to pull out. Um, they're not going to pull out a percentage because that won't work. Because you don't want to take a percentage of your account because you may get a five thousand dollar paycheck, but you may have seven thousand dollars in the account. And you can't pull out 10% because that's going to be 700 instead of 500. But if you know your paycheck's about $5,000, you can have Vanguard pull out $500 every month, and that can accumulate in that account. And the answer is yes. Um, I, I, I look at it as the money is already DACA money, and I write all my checks from my special account. It also, by the way, for, for IRS purposes, makes my life much easier because at the end of the year, when I, when I tally up my charity, I don't have to look across three accounts to figure out how much charity I gave, I basically look at one account because I know all the charity checks came out of that account. Very good. All right. Well, Naftali, thank you so much for joining joining us. Always a pleasure speaking with you and always uh, a lot to learn from. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Ari. Take care. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rabbi Yechiel Greenblatt. Rabbi Greenblatt spent numerous years learning and then as a Rebbe and then as a Mashkiach Ruchani. And he has recently launched with his partner who is with us as well today, a an exchange called Smach Zvulun, which matches those learning in Eretz Yisrael, Talmidei Chachamim in Eretz Yisrael, we're calling the Asachars, with funding partners, business people abroad, we will call them these Zvuluns. He is accompanied by his partner, Jordan Odinsky, who is a venture capitalist located in the United States. His firm is called Ground Up Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you very much for having us. We're excited to be here. So let me frame the discussion. We're talking about retirement today. So what are we talking with people who are having an exchange, partnering Zvuluns and Yasachas together? So I do want to frame the conversation because this is a very important part of our conversation of retirement. So many people, they work, they work hard, they don't have a lot of time to learn. And only upon retirement do they get to learning and then they'll join a cola, which is absolutely wonderful. But we have a solution and that's what we'll be talking about today of people, even if they don't have time to be learning when they're working, they have an ability to quote unquote outsource it. And it's not even outsourcing, it's insourcing it. But 
you're able to outsource it, have somebody do your learning for you. Now, two points before I get to you, because I'm sorry about this long introduction, but I, I think this is a very important thing. I will tell you, I, I actually had a dream of doing what you're doing. A number of years ago, I thought I would get into Yisachar Zulun and help people partner together. And I never did it. And I'm sitting here jealous that you are doing it. And that's why I'm talking at length right now. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, and this is how we paskin in Shulchan Aruch, that Tchilas Dino Shaladam Al Talmud Torah. The first thing that we're judged for on Meya Be'ezrim is on learning and afterwards everything else, which shows how crucial learning is. We spend so much time working and doing other things and learning is key because we are judged first when it comes to learning. And indeed, we paskin in Shulchan Aruch, Umi Shi'i this is in Yeridea Semin Reishman Vav, somebody who is unable to work, for example, he has all these tears, he has all these burdens. He's working so hard to earn a parnasa. What's his solution then if he is going to be judged first by on his learning? What he should do is he should hire others who should supply to others who are learning on his behalf. And the Ramah adds on the critical language. He's quoting the Torah. It's as if he is doing the learning himself. So we have an amazing mechanism, even those not retired who aren't learning themselves, they have an ability to effectively be learning even though they are working 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. That is the introduction. Rabbi Greenblatt, let me ask you as follows. Talk to me about Smach Zvulun. What is that? What are you starting to do? And also, maybe how is it different from other things that are out there? Sure. So... As I said before, thanks for having us. And what's important to realize about Smach Zvulun is that what we're aiming for in this venture, and I might say this joint venture because Jordan and I had this vision almost at the same time when we were neighbors. And since then, it's been growing and developing beautifully. Our mission and vision is to be able to afford the ability for every single philanthropist or Balabas, whatever he is, wherever he is, to partner properly and authentically with the Talmud Chacham. We don't have our own kolel that we're raising money for. What we're doing is finding the highest caliber Talmud Chachamim that we know that we could possibly find by networking with other Abanim and Talmud Chachamim and thereby of facilitating these great partnerships. And the beauty of this vision and of this organization, and you had this dream yourself, is that the only mitzvah in all of the mitzvahs of the Torah that you could possibly become a shutaf in, in the actual mitzvah is lima Torah. The other mitzvahs that you could be, uh, you know, facilitate, you might be able to be a, uh, a supporter or, uh, you know, somebody who's behind the mekayim, the one who does the mitzvah. You can't actually be a uh, part of the journey. You can't actually share in, the, in that mitzvah itself won't be split. Only the Torah has a quality that's printed in the tshuvas of many poskim. And that's why you have this din that you just mentioned in Shulchan Aruch. And I want to just take this opportunity to mention that Rabbi Wasserman has written extensively about Yisachar Zvulun in his Sefer Egyrei Torah on Al-Atarim Parshish Vayichi. So Rabbi say, take a look at that beautiful kundras. I love it. I've gone through it and even wrote, sent some horrors to Rabbi Wasserman on it. I, I wasn't going to mention it, but we'll post it on the website. So, so it's said, that, that's the venture. You partner in Eretz Israel with business people who are funding sources. What do you have more of? Do you have more people in need of funding the Talmidei Chachamim in Eretz Israel, or do you have philanthropists knocking down the door? Because we have both listening. I don't know how many uh, Hebrew speakers of Talmidei Chachamim in Israel, but uh, nonetheless, uh, what's your real need today? Currently, we have more Yisachars. 
And I want to qu- qualify and get clear what I mean. When I think we currently have more Yisachers, it's not so simple to agree to be a Yisachar. I have been rejected no less than seven or eight times recently when I offered somebody to become a somebody who supported. You would say, hey, it's free money. I'll take it. It's not that simple. People are very hesitant to take on this partnership because they realize that it's authentic. They realize that we're doing this in a very true and real way, and they're not so eager to bring a partner into their own business of learning to, if you can call it that. And so therefore, um, I, uh, although I have been rejected numerous times, I, I'm persistent and we keep looking for the greatest and highest level learners and developing a database. The reason why we have developed that database before we went out in our, in our advertising campaign is we want people to have the choice. We want people to be able to choose the learner that they think is the next great person in the world, the Claudius role. In, in the Jewish people. And so having developed that database, we every single day, we have ongoing meetings with Rabbanim, Poiskim, Rashi Koyla, Rashi Shiva to try and bring them in into our registry. And then we'll bring it out very soon to uh, to the Zvulans who will we'll be able to choose. Indeed, Rav Moshe Feinstein does focus on being the facilitator of somebody who can be in a gadol. So it's not a matter of just partnering with anyone, but finding the right partner who really has future potential to be a gadol and call Israel. So b- bottom line, how much does it cost? Because that's got to be on the mind of a number of people listening. They're, the benefits are great. The lushan of the Ramah is powerful. So you're doing the learning. You're doing the learning. How much does it cost for somebody to fund a Talmud Chacham learning in Eretz Yisrael. So because we want to do this in the most halachically sound way, and uh, we took a lot of counsel with G'day Torah, and we've gotten, Baruch Hashem, tremendous amounts of uh, support and haskamais um, from many leading G'day in Eretz Yisrael. But the bottom line is that you have to be able to give us a, a substantial amount that will help the Yisachar learn with Menuchas HaNefesh. So the given amount that the place told me when I spoke with them is the minimum amount is $1,200 a month. That's considered a substantial amount. Now, there are options to give more. We have partnerships currently active that are more, much more than that, almost double that. But however, the entry level is $1,200. That's a, su- a substantial amount of support on a monthly basis. We don't have a minimum amount of time, but we do encourage to start for an entire year. That affords a certain amount of serenity and intercom, knowing that the learner has that set up for a year. So, so it's it's a, a minimum of 1200 per month, minimum term of a year, even though Ramosha prefers three years. So that would be preferable to give the... Two to three. 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 Right. Now, right. how much of the money? If they're funding $1,200 per month, how much actually arrives in the bank account of the Yisacha, the person who's learning? The amount that arrives in his bank account is every single dollar that he donates minus the bare minimum fees that it costs to transfer money from America to Eretz Yisrael. Our vision is to give this opportunity to the Zvulans out there who want to be considered as if they're learning, to give it to them in the most rich and full way we can. We're not looking to uh, take any cuts. And in fact, we actually don't take anything off other than uh, credit card processing fees and transfer fees. And in the future, we hope to have that covered by an outside source as well. So we've talked about Zvulun and how much it costs Zvulun and what Yisachar receives. And now let's talk about what does Zvulun receive. So if you enter into a Shutfus and maybe you, you dictate it in the star that they sign between the two of them, how much of the schar of the learning is going back to Zvulun for having funded Yisachar? 
So that question, I, I have to answer with a story, if you don't mind. When I went to speak to Rav Asher Ariely, the great Magid Shir in Yeshiva Smir, so I told Rav Asher, what would message would you want to give the Zvuluns who are partnering with Tamid Chacham, and what would you suggest I tell them? And he said to me in Hebrew, in his unbelievably soft and uh, delicate way, he said to me, is there a greater investment in the world than being able to buy Torah with your money? And what he was basically saying is, that whatever Hashem decides to do with this, however he cuts the pie, if you, if you will, the ability to learn Torah by buying into somebody's learning, being able to be uh, study that Torah after you leave this world and, 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 and developing yourself in that way, that's the ultimate uh, reward that a person can receive. So how much does he get of the Torah? It's a great question. It's a discussion in the place game. You want to know what is the bottom line? Bottom line is he's buying Torah with money. Future Torah, not Torah that was already learned, that's the place we discussed, and he's going to be studying that Torah after 120 years. That's a great opportunity. Right, absolutely. Now, during the term, while the Zvulun is funding Yisachar, does he still have to learn? Does he have to be covating the Torah, or does this get him, I don't want to say get him out of, because that's something that he's going to want to do, but is he absolved from Kviyusi Tim Torah, just Amelus Torah? So uh, I mentioned your countries, if I will. In your countries, this is discussed as well. I'm sorry, Avari, I did go through the whole thing carefully. There's a discussion in the Paiskim that, that deal with this question extensively. And I'll give you the bottom line in one second, which is that Kvias Itim um, everybody's responsible for, everybody's held accountable for that basic minimum amount. The, the discussion is, do you need to learn just the halachas that are relevant to you? Or perhaps um, you could be Yoyte Kriyishma, Shachris of Arvis at a Shasat Chak. Nonetheless, you still need to keep learning and keep your connection with Torah vibrant. These are people that are 12, 13 hours a day in the base medrash. That, that is not an opportunity that a lot of Balabatim have. And for that, you have Yigiyas Atayro, Amelis Atayro, and Yidiyas Atayro that you're partnering with. Very nice. How did you get into this, by the way? Maybe we'll hear a little bit from Jordan as well at this point. Go ahead, sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, Yechiel and I were neighbors. I used to live in here in Arata School. I was here for five years. And Yechiel and I spent a lot of time together. Um, what we didn't mention in Yechiel's background, which is, uh, I think, pretty crucial, is that Yechiel spends 22 out of 24 hours a day trying to help other people and involved in chesed, involved in staka. He is, uh, I think, the founder, if not you know, one of the main uh, people who run uh, Kupat Givad Miftar, which is the main staka organization of the Givad Miftar of Arata School communities. And so he's really synonymous with helping get it everywhere. And uh, we were sitting together one day, I believe we were wa- actually walking home from shul, and we had this idea, we were talking about how much, how many people there are in the United States, especially people in my peer group, people who are a little bit older than I am, who are making serious money and who all spent many years here in yeshiva, um, and they just don't have the time to, uh, to sit and learn all day, but they would love to. But yet they have all this money and they have all, they're giving their major philanthropists, they're giving their, uh, their tzedakah, their miser to many different places. But I always felt that it was, it was missing the mark. There's so many great institutions out there. There are so many great organizations. There are so many great places to give money, to donate, to make an impact. But I always felt like there are so many places where those institutions then took a little bit off for building maintenance or this or that. And it didn't necessarily get forward to the people who are running the institution, to the people who are sitting there day and night learning the Torah and bringing the new Torah to the world. And so we had this idea, could there be a partnership uh, that we could create? Um, there was actually a, a very close friend of mine, 
um, who mentioned to me uh, that he started his uh, that he started a partnership, and that the Rev who asked him who approached him to say, "Would you be open to doing one?" He said, "Yes." He said, "I promise you, you'll see dividends immediately." And within a few weeks, one of the companies that he invested in was purchased for a large, large, large sum of money in the billions of dollars. And he did very well. And so he started more and more of his software's woman partnerships. And so the reason why he was telling me was pure menace of was It was to tell me to encourage me to do it. And because I told him I had this idea. So he said, yes, you should absolutely do it. It's a great thing. So with the help of Yafiel, um, my wife and I were able to start a partnership with really incredible, incredible family, incredible individuals, and incredible Rosh Kol here from Rosh Kol. And then we wanted to bring this to the masses. We wanted to say, okay, I'm able to do it on, you know, whatever money I make that uh, for sure other people could do it who are making a lot more than me. They could actually do it. They could do multiple of them. And we could really, uh, we could really turn this into a, into a massive uh, movement within Israel. Jordan, let me follow up on that. Uh, you said you fund a, uh, a Rosh Kolel in Ramat Eshkol. Do you have a relationship, ongoing relationship with him? And would you say that's indicative of how Smach Zvulun sets up the relationships? Or is it simply that Zvulun sends a check and never hears any uh, feedback uh, on the learning that his uh, partner is doing? Right. It's, a, it's an excellent question. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm completely authentic as that's kind of what we do in everything. It happens to me that I do have a relationship with the individual who I partner with, with the Yisachar, but that's because I knew him personally prior uh, to starting the starting the partnership. For the individuals that have come on to work with us as Hulins, um, it is absolutely their choice as to whether or not they want a real relationship. I think that what we try to do is we try to encourage a relationship. So uh, just tell you with one, uh, we try to encourage that they learn, they try to learn every Sunday for just 15 minutes together on the phone. Um, for many of them, they'll, they'll forward us some Torah that they've written, either a different Torah for Shabbos or other things. And it, we always forward that on to the Zvulun and say, this is something that was produced as a direct result from the impact that you were able to support it to your, from, uh, to your suffer. So that's a great thing that we do. And then periodically, what we really try to do is we try to encapsulate what exactly the schedule is of the Asahar. And we try to send that to the Zvulun. So this way they know exactly the Seder Hayom of their Yisachar, what new Torah they're bringing into the world. And we just had a story recently within the past week where we sent out an email and we got a response of, of the Yisachar schedule. We got a response from the Zvulun, who, uh, who I know well, who said, this is amazing. My wife and I always knew that this person was an incredible, we've always heard of him. We always know that he was, a, he was responsible for incredible things. But it was never tangible until you actually told us every single bullet point of what this person is involved in, what their Seder of the day is, how many people they influence, how many people they teach. And then you respond to us just a few days later. I would actually like to increase the amount that I'm giving him just because we feel so strong and so blessed to be part partnered with him and his family. And uh, that's what we're trying to, retrieve, uh, to, trying to achieve, just an authentic partnership. An authentic partnership sometimes means that there's communication. It sometimes means that you get to review things of the other. Um, but um, yeah, we, we we aren't pushing. We try to be exactly where you want us to be. That's where we'll be. That's an amazing story. Now, I want to just sharpen what we're talking about a little bit. Uh, a lot of people raise funds for kolels and yeshivas and a, a Rosh Kolo will come and say, give funding to my kolel and give funding to my yeshiva. So a lot of people are giving money 
for Lom De Torah, or at least for the institutions that people are learning in. What's the difference? What's the distinction between somebody who is donating to a yeshiva or an institution or to somebody who has a partnership, the operative word partnership between Yisachar and Zulim? Maybe Rabbi Greenblatt, if you can let us know about that. Sure. The difference is between Hazakas HaTorah and Hazakas Talmud Chacham. Supporting Torah in a general sense is a tremendous thing to do, and it's a great endeavor. But supporting a Talmud Chacham means that you become the Eitz Chayim He for that person individually and their family. That means their journey and your journey are intertwined. When you're a supportive institution, you're doing great things, you're forwarding their mission. But you're not necessarily the Eitz Chayim of this one great person whose personal journey and personal development depends and is facilitated by yourself. And that is such a crucial difference. That's what the Ramah is referring to that you were quoted earlier in Reish Memvav in Yeridea. And the Gemara cites a few examples in Sayyidah of specific individual partnerships between two uh, people, one Yisachar and one Zvulun. And that's a very crucial difference. It's all great that we support uh, we would encourage all people to give money to yeshivas, maizas, and kailim. But in our vision, our organization, you're not giving money to a maizas, you're giving money to a person. And that's very different. So it's the difference between receiving the mitzvah of tzedakah as a supporter of an institution, or even somebody who's learning, but you don't have the contract with them, you don't have the partnership. And the partnership, Yisachar Zulun partnership, is that you're doing the learning. That's a very significant difference. So why don't more people, why don't more Working people have partnerships with those who are learning. So the answer to that, I think, is that, first of all, do they know of this opportunity? Are they familiar with this availability? And more importantly, do they trust its authenticity? We've had our star reviewed. The star that we use is reviewed by many Paiskim and Rabbonim to refine it, to make it the most halachically uh, binding and sound star possible. And again, like you said before about the fees, we're not deducting anything. People want it to, to feel that they're part of something authentic and real. And I'm not sure how many people get that sense when say when, when you know, they're being offered, you know, the take this partnership and uh, and then give money to our Abraham and our Kola, you know? Okay, it's a nice pitch. It might sound like a gimmick. There's no gimmicks here. This is real, and this is the chance to do something authentic and be considered as if you're learning. I think that if people would know about it, they really would sign up more. So how do listeners get in touch with you? It's if they're interested in funding a Yisachar, or if we have Yisachars learning in Kolal in Yerushalayim and Eretz and they're looking for funding, and uh, they're, I guess, listening to the Yiddish or Hebrew versions of what we're doing, or they're in Ramat Eshkol and they speak English. So how would they reach you as well? I'll take that. Um, the first way to reach us is smachzvulon.com. Um, how do you spell, how do you spell that? It is S. M-A-C-H-Z-E-V-U-L-U-N.com, And what we would say is if you are interested in having a conversation or signing up for a partnership, uh, we know that, that I just want to be very clear. We know this is not a small sum of money. This is substantial. This is a real partnership. And a lot of times you want to have a conversation. You want to understand exactly the process. We are here to walk everybody through the process exactly step by step of what we do. Or there again to your earlier question of why don't more people do this? 
is that thank God in Klai Israel, if you need something, there are a lot of places where you already need, you already know where to go. And I think that what we're trying to accomplish, we're trying to be the go-to place that if you want to do your Sufferers Moon Partnership, Smach Zulun is synonymous with that. We are the one-stop place for that, that is authentic, that is genuine, that is backed by the posting of Klai Israel. And so you can visit us at our website. You can email yechiel at yechiel at smachzulun.com. Um, and we would be happy to hear from you. In terms of you sufferers that might be looking for a partnership as well, um, we have a rigorous application process and a rigorous vetting process, which Yechiel uh, heads up. And uh, we would be happy to chat with anyone on either side of the aisle, Yisachar and Zvulun. We hope that we can make as many, uh, as many incredible matches as humanly possible. Terrific. Sounds great. Uh, Rabbi Greenblatt, any final thoughts on your behalf? I just want to share one thought, and that is that the stories that I hear, not from earlier generations of G'daylimu uh, had partnerships, and then afterwards, their Zvulun appeared to them in a dream and said, you know, I'm now learning Tyron Shemayim and whatever it is. The stories that I hear from people in 2022 who had this exact or very similar events happen to them are astounding. In this office where I'm sitting, numerous stories have been told to me by people who their parents or grandparents had Yusuf's and partnerships on either side and how things were, cl- made, were made clear to them that in the end, that Zvulun was indeed sitting and studying Tyron Shemaim. And one Godel Benebrak who forbade me from saying his name told me he had the story himself. Himself. It happened to him. His partner was an unlearned fellow, but a lover of Torah, he passed away after many years, and he came to him in a dream, and he told him, study this, study that, Hashem wants more of this, and less of that, and there's, the, the, the God that told me, there's no way, there's no way in the world, he could have known any of that, unless he would be studying it, and so, it's not in, in ancient, uh, you know, something of old, of, of antiquated uh, idea, this is something that's very relevant, Anybody could be part of it. And I encourage everyone to try it. Super. Well, I want to thank you both so much for joining us, Rabbi Gleenblatt and Jordan. It is a pleasure. And hopefully uh, we will uh, motivate others to get in touch with you and really enter into these really critical partnerships. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Joining us now is Rabbi Beryl Wine. Beryl Wine is a known Rav publisher author, lecturer, ex- I could keep on going on, Rabbi Wine. We're actually sitting here in Rabbi Wine's Yerushalayim apartment to talk about retirement. And, and Rabbi Wine, I, I noted that you just published a new book Yes, called uh, Struggles, Challenges, and Tradition, right? Struggles, Challenges. And, and, and the question is, at 88 years old, why don't you retire? Well, I have nowhere to retire to. That's part of it. There are days that I feel uh, my age, and there are days that I don't. And uh, I think that uh, as long as I had energy and I had the ability, I should continue to do what I can do. And that's uh, that's pretty much my attitude. I think that should be an attitude of everyone. And retirement really means uh, to do something else, and just to uh, give up completely. So that's uh, really a... Uh, a declaration of, uh, of a death sentence. So, so Ashkafically, when it comes to retirement, and obviously you love what you do, and you're doing unbelievable things for Klali, so, so there's no reason to not do that. Somebody at work, for example, not talking about Clay Cottage, or we could say Clay Cottage as well, somebody who has a job as a teacher or as a principal, and the concept of they have an option to retire or continue in and doing what they're doing. 
Well, it depends, again, what you retired to. You know, uh, there are many uh, people that I know here that have retired near Shalim, and in essence have entered a kolel, maybe not a full-time kolel, but a regular kolel, and they're able to learn Torah every day to an extent that they couldn't do before. So, uh, again, it's what, what do you think you're going to do? If you think that you're going to play golf all day, I don't think that's a good idea because it's going to become very boring. And you're not you physically. You're not going to be able to do it as long as you think you are. Uh, so again, uh, it really depends on what your interests were uh, when you were working. Uh, there are people that, uh, for the first time in their life, they've had time to read the books they wanted to read, or to meet the people they wanted to meet, or to give time to the family, etc. There are many options, but. Uh, if uh, I, if one is proficient at what one is doing and one enjoys the productivity of what is accomplished now, so then I don't see any reason uh, to take uh, uh, an arbitrary date and say uh, goodbye. There are some teachers that should have retired at 25, and there are teachers that, that at 75 are great mentors. Right. So uh, you have to know yourself pretty much uh, to make these decisions. Right. Now, Rabbi Wein, you have a lot of retirees in your shul. And, and if you could look through, obviously, we're not going to talk about them in particular, but if you look about uh, trends, maybe, as to what can set somebody up for a successful retirement as opposed to somebody who doesn't have a successful retirement, what, what, would, you, what would you say is, is an important thing to do to set, set yourself up for success? Again, is to have a... Uh, a range of interests uh, to uh, have something in life outside of your uh, immediate job, so to speak. And uh, then uh, that could fill up a great void. Then that becomes your uh, your goal every day, etc. But uh, I think for Jews who uh, have the ability and who really didn't have the time or uh, other conditions to study Torah, I think that uh, the years of retirement offer that opportunity, and I think that that's a remarkable uh, gift that's been given in our time when people live longer and they're able to uh, function longer, so then uh, people who all of their lives couldn't uh, really uh, study uh, Talmud uh, now do the Daf Yomi every day, and they attend lectures, and they attend shiurim, especially here in Yerushalayim, where there's something going on every day. Every so, neighborhood has a right, so If you're really interested in being active, there's no doubt that you can be active. Right. So let's talk about the impact on the family. Have you ever had wives come to you and say, now that my husband is home, it's real challenging for me? Certainly. So what are the challenges for a spouse, for a wife, when, when a husband is home? Again, because they lived a life of 40, 50 years where he wasn't home. And now all of a sudden there's somebody in the house all the time. So that uh, that can have consequences. Uh, again, the spouse also, she uh, also has to have uh, a plan. And there are such... Uh, there are such uh, options available to women here in Israel on a regular and daily basis, and especially in our generation when women uh, women's studies and uh, are not limited anymore. And 
So it's a chance to develop. It also depends whether you have the rest of the family here with you or you're alone. If you have the rest of the family with you and you have children and grandchildren, so that uh, occupies a great deal of your uh, time and mind. If you're here alone, just a husband and wife, so then uh, it's an adjustment. It really is. I want to get back to the point of the kids in a second. I once heard a story. One of the Gdolim in the United States, his wife wasn't well for a while, and he and his son took over the uh, kitchen and the preparation of the food. And after she, Baruch Hashem, had a refuah she came back and saw what they did, and she said, you traped up my entire kitchen, and she koshered the whole thing. So, so... Do you ever have feedback along those lines about my husband's home, he's taking my time, and now he's trafed up the kitchen? I really don't have much experience that uh, anybody ever told me that. Uh, again, that there are men that are great master chefs. There are men that know how to cook and men that enjoy it. In fact, that becomes what they do when they retire. And uh, then there are men that can't boil an egg like me. <laughs> And uh, so that's a, it's a different experience. You have to know yourself, and the couple has to know itself, and they have to know what uh, what works for each other. Right. So let's get back to the kids. Children come to you and say, "My, our father just retired. Our mother just retired. How much of an effort should we make? Is it going to be imposing on them if we call every day, going over every day? How do you find that balance? And what what's your etza for them? There's no one size fits all. There are, uh, I think that most parents want to hear from their children every day. But uh, children many times don't want to inflict upon uh, older parents uh, problems and issues that they are facing. So balance, it's, uh, there's, no, there's no easy answers and no, not an answer for everybody. But uh, let me say that uh, a, a child that would call uh, his uh, father or mother uh, once a week when they retire, I think he's got up the ante. However, uh, it depends how rewarding the phone call is. So again, if uh, if they uh, discuss things of substance or things of uh, importance or things of interest to both of them, that's one kind of conversation. If they uh, just prattle on about uh, the Macaulay, so uh, that's a different matter. Everybody has to find their own way. It's not, I mean, retirement is no different than before. You have to find your own level. You have to be yourself. You have to see what does it for you. What's going to work? What's going to work for you? What's That's going to right. Work? Very good. Well, thank you very much for the input, Rabbi Wine. We really appreciate it. My pleasure.